Jesus, fill the hearts of your people, Lord. Fill the hearts of your people, God. Oh, Father, hallelujah. Oh, Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you. Thank you for intervening, Lord Jesus. We thank you for coming to our rescue. Thank you for hearing the cry of your people. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a hand praise this morning. Amen. Well, we're thankful that you are here this morning. Thankful that you decided to come to Hosanna this morning and uh, hear the word of the Lord and with us this Sunday morning. We're thankful to the Lord. Amen. Today is Palm Sunday. Today is Palm Sunday. Today is a triumphal or the entry of Jesus to Jerusalem. Amen. This marks the beginning of the last week of the life of Jesus Christ here on earth. This marks the last time that he will enter Jerusalem not be able to exit Jerusalem. <clears throat> this marks the beginning of Jesus calling out to his disciples, speaking to them time and time again of the things that are to come and the things that are to be beheld. <clears throat> this is Christ's last week here on earth. And each of the synoptic gospels gives it a little differently. But when you read it as a whole, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you read exactly what happened. And the book of John gives us more extensive, uh, gives us more extensive instruction that Jesus left his disciples from John chapter 12 all the way pretty much to the end, to the time of his crucifixion. Jesus talks about what is to come, the expectation, what they're going to receive, how much of it they're going to receive who they're going to be and how the world will hate them because they hated the one because they hated Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so today I just want to bring your attention to some main points in, that I find in the book of Mark chapter 1 verse chapter 11 verses 1 through 19 if you so kindly open your Bibles there. Mark chapter 11 verses 1 through 19. <clears throat> I want to speak to you this morning on three main points procession, proclamation, and the purpose of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. Procession, proclamation, and purpose. So let's open our Bible, shall we, to Mark chapter 1. I'm sorry, Mark chapter 11, excuse me. Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 19. Standard, Bi Standard Bible version. It says as follows. <clears throat> as they approached Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you, 
you will find a colt tied there on which no one yet has ever sat. <clears throat> Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? You say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it back here. They went away and found a colt tied at the door outside, the, outside in the street. <clears throat> and they untied it. Some of the bystanders were saying to them, what are you doing untying the colt? They spoke to them just as Jesus had told them, and they gave them permission. <clears throat> they brought the colt to Jesus and put their coats on it and sat on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their coats in the road, and others spread leafy branches which they had cut from the fields. Those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple. <clears throat> and after looking around at everything, he, he left for Bethany with the twelve since it was already late. The next day, when they had left Bethany, he came hungry. Seeing at a distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, may no, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples were listening. Then they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple, and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. And he began to teach and say to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a robber's den. The chief priests and the scribes heard this and began seeking how to destroy him, for they were afraid of him, for the whole crowd was astonished at his teaching. When evening came, they would go out of the city. Procession, proclamation, and purpose. Let's go before the Lord. Father of lights, we come before you one more time this morning. We just thank you for your presence. We thank you for the gift of your spirit. Thank you, my God, that you call us, my Lord, and that you bestow your grace upon us and your mercy. We thank you that your spirit, Lord, comes to us, Lord, in a time of need and is with us at all times. I pray, my God, that you speak today, Lord, that we are here to hear, my God, in the name of Jesus, amen. <clears throat> you may take your seats this morning. Let's continue to pray for Pastor. I believe he returns this week from Kenya. They have a safe return. Amen. Also, let's pray for those families in Nashville. Uh, from that Christian school uh, where that person went in there and and attacked them. Amen. And I um, just want to say this before I begin to preach or to teach. Um, our, our society is going down an abyss. Yeah. Our society is going down a vast abyss at this time. Uh, this transgender movement that the enemy has bestowed upon the people from 2020 to now is is causing a lot of chaos, a lot of confusion, a lot of torment. Um, 
and, it, and it's an attack of the enemy against our young people. It's a way to destroy our young people. It's a way that the enemy is using to destroy society as is. So <clears throat> let's pray that, that the Lord reach that community, that the Lord take those out of that community that need to be taken out. Taken out, I mean come to salvation. Amen. Not taken out, taken out, okay. <laughs> that the Lord bring them to salvation that the Lord open their the blindness that they have, that the enemy has blinded them to believe a lie, and that the Lord have mercy upon their souls and save them. Yeah. Amen. They are people just like you and I, and they need the Lord because the enemy is just coming after them big time. <clears throat> and don't get me started with everything else surrounding that. So we're here today in Matthew, in Mark, excuse me, chapter 11, verse 1 through 19. So the first point, the procession. <clears throat> what is the procession normally when a king enters a room, when a king enters a city, <clears throat> or even when our president enters and comes to different cities? Well, there's vast people. There's people lined up the streets to look, just to get a glimpse when, um, when Queen Elizabeth passed away last year or the beginning of this last year I believe it was there was a procession that lined the streets all the way from Buckingham Palace all the way to her burial site and there were people there that were lined up miles and miles waving flags waving British flags and just seeing the the, the people walk in front of in front of the hearse and and looking at all of that pomp and circumstance and this is normally what happens when a king enters a city when a king enters an area that they're awaiting for but that was not so for Jesus the procession that Jesus had was a little fanfare people were already coming to the Passover see Jerusalem was the Mecca of the Passover if you were a Jew, if you were, if you were a, a proselyte of, of Jewish people, of the Jews, you would come to Jerusalem and take part of the Passover. You would take part of that because that's where you wanted to be. So people were already coming there. As people were coming, Jesus was entering Jerusalem. And the procession of Jesus into Jerusalem required a few things. It required a colt that was not burdened or yoked. And that was an important detail in this matter. A colt that had not been burdened, a colt that had not been used to carry anything. Because see, in the book of Numbers chapter 19, God requested a heifer for sacrifice to the Lord. A heifer that had not been burdened at all by anything. Because see, when God sets aside something for himself or someone for himself, he expects that thing or that person to be used exclusively for his purpose, exclusively for him. And the question for you today is, what has God called you to? What has God set you aside for? Because as you've come to Christ, as I have come to Christ, we have been set aside for a purpose. We have been set aside for a calling. We have been set aside by God, for God, for his purpose, for his divine purpose. Do you find yourself 
mixed with the things of this world and forgotten what God has called you for? Or have you become so religious and so acclimated just to coming to church and being part of a people called Christian that you have, that you have dulled that area in your life and forgotten what God has called you to? Because see, for each one of us that, that are found here today, we are called by God, we are set aside by him. The day that we surrendered our life to Christ, at that moment, God said, you are my people. I have called you for a specific purpose, for a specific calling. And are you obeying that calling? Are you obeying that voice of God in your life? Are you hearing what God has called you to do, to be? It goes beyond your education. It goes beyond your studies. It goes beyond your work. It goes beyond anything you do or anyone you associate or anything you associate in your life. The calling of God upon your life is specific for the kingdom of God. And it might entail the things that you do to earn money. It might entail that or it might not entail that at all. But what has God called you to do? What has God called you for his kingdom, for his purpose? So to Christ, this required for him to enter into this place, a cult. Matthew gives us the detail of the cult's mother that was also there next to the cult. <clears throat> that both were loosened and both were brought to uh, Jesus. And the reason why one was brought and the other, the reason why the donkey and the colt were brought is that that would make the colt calm. That would make the colt not get all antsy. That would make the colt calm because the mother was walking right next to the colt. The colt was set aside for exclusive use of Christ for that moment. See, the procession was to announce the king of Israel is coming to his house. The king of glory is coming to his house. This was that moment. If you recall back in the book of Matthew, in the book of Mark, in the book of Luke, when Jesus entered into the world, when Jesus came to this world, the ones that the angels went to were shepherds in the field. That's who they were. You're talking about the king of glory, the king of majesty, the God of heaven and earth, the God that created all things, whom by all things exist, whom by we breathe and have our being came to shepherds and announced glory to God in the highest and peace on earth and goodwill towards men and light shone upon these shepherds. It didn't shine upon the magistrates. It didn't shine upon the wealthy. It didn't shine upon the well-educated. 
It didn't shine upon the ones that had societal, uh, that were of the societal elite. It didn't shine upon them. It shined upon the lowly and the humble and the meek and the mild. The ones who no one considered important. The ones who no one considered they are worthy of the king of glory announcing his coming to this earth. To them he came. To them he showed who he was. And here the king enters in a cult in the same way he entered into the world. And in the same way he went into Jerusalem to exit the world. He came on a cult. He came on an animal of burden. What does an animal of burden mean? It means an animal that carries things. Now we have trucks of burden. Now we have semi-trucks. Now we have pickup trucks. And some of you have your own little cars that you carry your stuff in. You use it for a specific purpose to take things from one place to another. Insignificant things. Things that are to people that are insignificant, that they're of no importance, that they're of no value to some degree, but yet they're useful, but you don't consider them anything other than that. <clears throat> a golf cart used at work is just that, a golf cart. You're not going to decorate it. You're not going to put lights on it. It's just there. You get in, you use it, you abuse it. You get another one, you replace it, no problem. Right? So this was that cult. And what that tells us of Jesus, and what that tells us of him, is that he came and he left humbly. Part of this procession of Jesus entering Jerusalem was to announce that your savior, your king, is a humble servant. Mark speaks about the humble servant. Mark speaks that Jesus is our humble servant king. Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 8 says this, Have this attitude in yourself, in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God to be something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. See, Christ shows us that the king of all creation entered the city of David humbly. Humble servant. Jesus said in one occasion, learn of me, for I am meek and mild. There is a graciousness in being humble. There's a graciousness in humbleness. When the Bible speaks of Moses... It speaks of the most humble man that ever lived. And Jesus, when he went to the cross, did not open his mouth. 
did not curse those that beat him, did not curse those that put him on the cross, but instead said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. See, humbleness is necessary in the kingdom of God. Humbleness is necessary in our walk with the Lord. Amen. See, humbleness elevates you in a way that nothing else can elevate you. Amen. Humbleness brings you to a point that you really understand if it wasn't for God, if it wasn't for his mercy, I would not be here. Amen. See, humbleness to society, to this world, is, is a point to be trampled upon. It's something to be disgraced. But in the kingdom of God, a humble and broken and contrite heart, he does not despise. Because being humble is a characteristic of being a child of God. We cannot be more of a child of God if we are not humble. If we do not have a spirit of humbleness, a spirit of meekness, it is very hard to be a child of God. It is very hard to follow one who is meek, who is humble. See, what Christ shows us in this procession is one, you have exclusive purpose to God. And two, you need, we need to be humble people. We cannot be boasting about what we do, about how much we've accomplished. We cannot, we should not be boasting about everything that I do and all the positions that I have and all the wealth that I have and all the intelligence that I have and all the intellectual prowess that I have. That's good. God gave that to you as a gift. Use it for the glory of God. But Paul said, if I boast, I'm going to boast in anything. And I'm going to boast in this one thing. That I know you and that you know me. <clears throat> if we're going to boast, let's boast in the fact that God knows us. Just like Moses would say, God, I want to know you. Just like Paul said, Lord, I want to know you. I count everything that I've obtained to be rubbish for the excellency of the knowledge of your name. That's why Paul, time and time again, when he prayed for the churches, he prayed that you may know God. That you may know God. That you may grow in the knowledge of God. That you may grow in the spirit of God. That you may grow in the excellency of the knowledge of God. That you may grow in saving knowledge. That you may grow in knowing him. But that requires for us to be humble and to say, I don't know anything. How do you take these men of the Bible, like Peter, like John, like Moses, like Abraham, like King David, like Daniel, like Jeremiah, that their whole life, even though they knew God, they still pursued God because they still wanted to know him even more. That requires humbleness. The moment that I come into this place and think, I know it all. Nobody's going to teach me anything. I know enough already to be saved. 
that's the moment that your arrogance and your pride starts removing you farther and farther away from God. Why? Because a prideful, God, a prideful heart, God despises. And God removes from his presence. God removed Lucifer from his presence. Why? Because pride got into his heart. And pride took over his thoughts to the point of wanting to get to the throne, to be at the throne of God, to sit at the throne of God. And God said, that's it, Lucifer. You're done. And he cast them into outer abyss. Humbleness is not weakness, but a necessity for us. In the, in the kingdom of God, we will never be elevated or promoted unless we are humble. Unless you and I show a humble heart, God will never use us. God will never take us. God will never say, thou good and faithful servant. You can have all of the abilities in the world. You can have the ability to talk. You can have the ability to lead. You can have the ability to teach. You can have the ability to do all kinds of things in the kingdom of God. But unless your heart is in a humble state, God cannot use you. God cannot elevate you. And see what Jesus teaches us in this procession. Yes, I am king. Yes, I deserve all the accolades that you're going to give me. But the one thing you need to understand is that I am humble and lowly of heart. Because we have to understand that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. And see, with humbleness, there is no fanfare. With humbleness, there is no one applauding you, saying, good job, good job. With humbleness, there's no one giving you awards. With humbleness, there's no one patting you on the back. With humbleness, there's no one there at your side when things are just, when, when in your life things are, 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 are very tense and you're going through so many trials. With humbleness, there's none of that. With humbleness, you learn to rely on God. And you hold nothing against anyone for any reason. That's hard. That is hard to do. Because in our life, in our society, we are taught. If nobody's by your side, then they're never, they were never your friends. If they didn't come to your side, then they showed they were never your friends. But in Christianity, it's the opposite. Because they could be the ones praying for you, lifting you up in prayer. And you will never know it. They could be the ones fasting and interceding for you. And you will never know it. They could be the ones crying out to God on your behalf. And you will never know it. And the reason that you got through that trial is because somebody was on their knees begging the Lord to lift you up when you had no strength to be lifted up. But it requires humbleness to say... Yes, no one came, no one called, no one visited me, no one ever entered into my house. But the prayers of the righteous availeth much. 
but the prayers of the just made a difference in my life. Yeah, I had no one by my side, but God used people to lift me up in prayer. And when there's a humble spirit, you recognize that. And you say, I hold nothing against anybody. But thank be to God that I'm part of the family of Christ. Thank be to God that I'm part of a family that loves the Lord and that seeks his faith and that is sensitive to him. And that cries out on behalf of those that don't have the strength to cry out in the kingdom of God. But we need to be humble. We need to be humble. The proclamation. Let me continue with the procession. The other thing that the procession teaches us is the following. In John chapter 12, in John chapter 12, <clears throat> when he's talking about the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, John is very honest with us. And you might think, man, why is the Bible so honest? It's honest about David and his mess-ups. It's honest about Abraham and his wife Sarah, who said, you're my sister, so don't tell the king that you're my sister so I don't get killed. It's honest about Moses. It's honest about <clears throat> Daniel. It's honest about Peter. It's honest about Paul. It's honest, period. <clears throat> Look how honest John puts part of the entry, the procession. John chapter 12, verse 16. It says, these things his disciples did not understand at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him that they had done these things for him. I want you to think about that for a moment. Jesus enters into Jerusalem. He is the king of the Jews. He is the rightful king. Pontius Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answers him in John, you have said so. I am the king of the Jews. See, he is the king of the Jews. But in the moment of the procession of Jesus entering into the city, the people that he was most nearest to, his disciples, and all those that accompanied him, the moment passed them by. It just passed them by. They got caught up in the fanfare. They got caught up in the cult. They got caught up in the procession. They got caught up in, in people shouting and yelling and screaming. They got caught up in that. But they had no clue what it meant. They had no clue. what Until after Jesus ascended into heaven. Until after Jesus' ascension that they realized that is what the procession of Jesus into Jerusalem meant. It meant that he was being crowned the king. So a question for us this morning. 
I guess another question is, is Christ passing us by and we are unaware that he is near? Is Christ passing us by and we're just unaware that he's here? Are we like the 12 that just, that moment just passed by? In other words, is it, coming, is it becoming so routine that we come to this place and we expect a 20, 30-minute worship set, we expect announcements, we expect the preaching, and then we expect that afterwards we're done, I'm done with my obligation, I'm done with coming to church, now it's me time, and I'm just going to go and do whatever I need to do for today. When we come, is it passing us by that the king of glory wants to sit with you, talk with you, and make you whole? Is it passing us by that the king of glory wants to take a moment of your day and present himself to you and say, I am your God? Or do we come and we get so busy with the things that we, the obligations that we have to do, the obligations of our daily life, that when we come into this place and we have moments where the Spirit of God, like this morning, just comes down upon us and just sits with us for a while? Is it, it I understand that that was an unusual moment, but when those moments happen, does it just pass us by? And when are we getting to the next part? Because 11.30 is coming to, to very near, very close. Is coming to church just a, a, a momentary pause in our Sunday morning, in our Sunday, to get on with the rest of our day? Because, see, the disciples were with him for three and a half years. Think about that. Three and a half years, night and day, traveling, and, it's, and, 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 and it is true, you get to know the, your people the most when you travel with them. You want to get to know somebody? Take a road trip to Bakersfield. Take a road trip somewhere, and you'll get to know somebody real fast. And you'll get to know parts of their life that you're like, I didn't want to know that part. But you get to know people. They were that close with Jesus. And yet at this crucial moment, it just passed them by. Genesis chapter 28 verse 10 through 16 says this. Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he, and he happened upon a particular place and spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and made it a support for his head and laid down in that place. And then what happened? He had a dream. And he saw a ladder ascend, come down from heaven to where he was at. And he would see the angels going up and down that ladder, up and down that ladder. And when he woke up, he realized and he said the following. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, the Lord is certainly in this place, and I did not know it. See, for us, as believers, as people of God, we can't let these moments pass us by. 
whether it's here or it's in your home or it's in your workplace or, or it's in driving to work or coming back home from work or from wherever you're at, the moment that God wants to visit you in the place that you're at, don't let that moment pass. Because that's a precious moment you will never get back again. That's a moment that God is calling you for something, to something, for a purpose of something. See, because when God wants to isolate us, he doesn't want to isolate us to isolate us for isolation's sake. He wants to isolate us to prepare us for the moments to come that we are going to be tested and tried in our faith that we are going to need to have strength to get through. See, when God, when those moments of God happen in our life, they are moments very, very specific for something that is going to happen in the very present. God doesn't want to isolate you just to say, you know, let's play patty cake. No, God wants to isolate you because God knows there's something coming, there's a storm brewing, and I need to get you ready for that storm. If not, it's going to pass you by and you're going to fall. You know what? I need to get you ready and prepared for what I called you to. If not, it's going to pass you by and you're going to have no clue that I called you for that specific purpose. There are many things in our life that we would not have gone through if we would have paused when God wanted us to pause and focused on him. There are things in our life that if we would have paused when God said, pause, seek my face, and I will give you strength, we would have never gone through that temptation, that, that circumstance, left the Lord for a while, and then had to come back with our, with our tail between our legs because we knew we blew it. We would have never have gone through that if we, were, we would have just paused when God wanted us to pause. See, the procession teaches us these things. It teaches us to be aware. It teaches us to be humble. It teaches us not to let moments go by that God is calling us. See, the Bible says in the book of James that we should not be like the person that looks in the mirror and then the moment that he turns away from the mirror, forgets what he looks like. God doesn't want us to be those people. God wants us to be the people that look in the mirror, see what they see, and say, that's who I am. That's what I am. And not forget. Let's move to the proclamation. The proclamation in Mark chapter 11, verse 9 through 10 says, and those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna me, save us and save us now. Save us, God. Save me, Lord. When you hear cry, the cry of Hosanna, you're hearing, save me, God. This was a messianic cry. There was, there was the cry to signify that the Messiah was coming in the name of the Lord. <clears throat> this alludes us to Psalm chapter 118, verse 26. Blessed is the one who comes in the name 
of the Lord. But what did they mean by Hosanna? What did they mean by the shouting? What did they mean by this? They did not mean save me from my sin. They did not mean save me from my wretchedness. They did not mean save me from myself. What they meant during this time was save us from the Roman oppression. Save us <clears throat> from this Roman rule. Save us that we may gain all the benefits of your Messiahship. Save me so I can gain all the benefits of you being the Messiah. But don't save me because I need saving. Save me because of the benefits I'm going to receive. This proclamation was pretense and was not sincere. There was no sincerity of heart in this proclamation of the Messiah. There was no sincerity from the people. It was, I want you to save me, God, because I want to, I want to obtain the benefits that you have as king. And see, many times we come to this place, we hear the gospel, and we're like, you know what, that sounds good. That sounds really good. Wow, that's awesome. What, what can I do so that I can negotiate to get the benefits of being a Christian without ever having to be a Christian? How can I obtain the benefits of coming to the Lord without ever having to come to the Lord? How can I obtain the blessings without ever surrendering my life and still obtain the blessings of God? That's why there are people that come into this place and they feel the presence of God. They feel the peace of God. They feel the awe of God. They feel the security of God. They feel the, the warmth of God. But, but that's all they really want is that. They do not desire to serve God. They do not desire to surrender to God. They do not desire to come and humble themselves before God. They do not want God to reign in their lives. See, when we come to this place, when we come before God, there has to be a desire for him to dwell in us. There has to be a desire for him to dwell in our hearts. There has to be a desire for him to reign in our hearts. When I come to this place, when I come before God, I have to come wanting for Him to dwell in me. Not just to give lip service, not just to be whitewashed tombs, not just to be empty tombs, not just that my singing be resounding cymbals, clanking cymbals. But that when I come before the presence of God, that I come and I call out to desiring him in me. Him living in me. Amen. Jesus said, it is not what men eat that defile them. But what comes out of their heart that defiles them. We do not come just to obtain the favors of God. We have to come to obtain him. We should not come just to obtain the blessings of God. 
We should come to obtain him. We should be like Mary that sat at the feet of Jesus when he entered into the house of Lazarus. Where Martha goes, Lord, don't you see Mary just doing nothing but sitting there? And Jesus says, Martha, 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 she is getting the best. She is here getting the best while you are bustling and doing all this work. She is here doing what she needs to do. We have to want to come to this place and say, Lord, I want to meet you here in this place. And I don't want to leave until you are so close to me that my body trembles. That my bones tremble. That my body shakes uh, from your presence entering into my life. That when I leave this place, I leave as Moses leaving Mount Sinai with the tablets in his hand. And the glory of God shining upon them. Where they saw the radiance of God. And they said, Moses, you glow like nothing else. God, that's how I want to leave. That I desire you so much that I don't want to let you go. Amen. That should be our proclamation. God, I come to this place, but I don't want to leave the same. God, I come to your habitation, but I don't want to leave the same. God, I'm not coming to fulfill an obligation. God, I'm not coming so people can see me and not call me that I didn't come. God, I'm not coming to see what's happening. God, I'm coming for you. I'm not going to get distracted by anything. I'm coming for you. My phone is not going to distract me. I'm coming for you. The tasks that I left at home are not going to distract me. I'm coming for you. The problems that I'm facing at home are not going to distract me. I'm coming for you. The situations that surround me are not going to distract me. I'm coming for you. Lord, it doesn't matter what's happening in my life. I'm coming for you. I'm coming for the one who reigns. I'm coming for the one who saves. I'm coming for the one who rescues me. I'm coming for the one who clothes me in majesty. Who sits me up in heavenly places. I'm coming for you. I'm not coming for anything else. I'm coming for you. Paul says in Philippians 3.10. That I might know him. A man that had missionary trips, a man that established churches, a man that preached to thousands, a man that saw miraculous things happen before his eyes, a man that was shipwrecked, a man that was bitten by a viper, a man that was slain, a man that was, that was thrown in prison, a man that was shackled in prison, and yet he says, I want to know him. The most talented man that you can ever find, the one who wrote the most books in the New Testament, still says, I want to know him. And we that have barely grasped a pen and can write a few sentences think that we know him. Because we, we write a few sentences about God because we sing of his majesty, because I feel him. Because I'm here and, and his presence touches me. And, and we think we know him. 
but do you really? But do we really? Or do we know him on Sunday? Is this the only day we know him? See, Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem gives us, tells us, there, 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 there has to be a yearning. There has to be a yearning for God in our lives. There has to be a, a desire for God in our lives. There has to be a breaking down of us for him in our lives. Everything that we have, everything that you have, has been bestowed upon you by God. Everything. It doesn't matter what you, everything has been bestowed upon by you by God. Everything that you have, the last penny you have in your wallet, in your, in your pocket, has been bestowed upon you by God. And yet, with that same passion that he bestows upon you, with that same passion, do you return it and yearn for God in the same way that you yearn to live? In the same way that you yearn to breathe. In that same way that you yearn to feed your body. Do you yearn for God in that same way? Or do you just, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. As long as I come, I'm good. As long as I'm here, I'm good. As long as I, I, I have a few moments with God, I'm good. But is there a yearning? All of us have cravings. Everyone here has a craving for something. All of us crave things. But is the greatest craving in your life Jesus? Is the greatest craving in your life Jesus? See, what God is teaching us here is that the greatest craving has to be him. Not what he bestows upon us. That's good. Not what he has gifted us with. That's good. Not what he extends to us. That's good. But our greatest craving and yearning should be him. And him above all things. See, We shouldn't shout Hosanna just to shout Hosanna. We shouldn't sing just to sing. We shouldn't clap our hands just to clap our hands. But when we do that, we should do it yearning for God. Yearning for his presence. I'm amazed that sometimes we're singing and we're doing this. I'm amazed sometimes we're singing and we're, oh, good, the game's on. Or we're in our small groups and we're, oh, oh yes, brother, amen. Our yearning should be him. When I come here, 
When I come into this place, yeah, I'm going to be busy. I might be busy with a whole lot of things. But you know, when I come here, focus is him. Nothing else. Nothing else matters. Nothing else is as important as him. We need to be mindful of the way we draw near to God and not make an empty exercise of selfish motivation. We need to be mindful when we draw near to God. We need to be mindful. I come to this place for one reason and one reason only. only. That is to praise and glorify the excellency of the name of Jesus Christ and nothing else. Nothing else. The purpose. I said proclamation, procession, and purpose. <clears throat> when Jesus entered into that place and he saw the fig tree and he saw the fig tree that had no fruit on it he cursed the fig tree what was Jesus doing Jesus was passing judgment on the people of God for their faithlessness and unpreparedness in the coming of the Messiah. That's what Jesus did. That fig tree that Jesus cursed was a resemblance of you're faithless and you're unprepared to receive me. I'm taking what I was going to give to you to others. The Bible says, don't let your heart be hardened. Don't let your heart be hardened. It's very unfortunate that judgment had to pass on the house of God. It's very unfortunate that judgment had to pass on the house of Israel in this way. So the, another question for us today is, has judgment passed upon us? Where we just come to this place and it's just an exercise of, I'm here. we don't sense the presence of God, where we sense nothing of his grace, his mercy, and his compassion, where there is no light of the life of Christ in us, has judgment passed upon us? That when you come to this place, you just come, sit down, wait till they tell you to stand up, stand up. Clap your hands, you sing a song, and you see the words, and the words just mean nothing to you. They're just words on the screen. You hear the preacher, and the preacher says what he says, and you, to, in your ears, it's just mumble-jumble. It's just babble. It's like a babbling brook. And you leave this place, and, and, and that's it. That's it. And then you're, you, 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 you're, you're excited for Sunday afternoon when you have your plans. And, and you want to make sure you get there early to the next thing that you're going to do because you don't want to miss out on some of the, the stuff that's happening. But, but earlier in the day when you were there in Sunday service, it was just an, a futile exercise of, of just selfish motivation. You're just... Just waiting for, 
for the moment to come where you're, where we dismiss and you're, okay, all right, let's get to the real stuff. Has judgment passed? Today is, uh, the only reason why I know is because of my coworkers. Today there's an event in uh, SoFi Stadium, WrestleMania. I believe it's at 4.30 or 5 o'clock or whatever. You know how many thousands of people are there right now? Right now, at 11.30, 11.15, you know how many thousands of people are there waiting? Just waiting outside the stadium, walking around, enjoying the stadium, enjoying the views of the stadium? Thousands of people. That stadium fits 90,000 people. But yet as the people of God, we struggle to get here at 9.30. We struggle to wake up with sufficient time to get dressed, to come to this place, to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. We struggle to walk down from our car to the entrance of this church. We struggle. But don't talk to me about an event that I'm going to participate in because I'm going to make sure I'm there an hour, two hours early. Don't talk to me about tomorrow because at work I'm going to get there 15, 30 minutes ahead of time. Don't talk to me about that. But when I, when I come to this place, oh, you know, it's, you don't understand, brother. It's the only day I have of the week where I can relax. No, I understand. Believe me, I understand. But when you surrendered to Christ, you said, nothing else matters but you. Nothing in my life is more important than you. So that means Sunday morning, I have to wake up a little earlier. Then I'm going to wake up a little earlier. If that means Sunday morning, Saturday night, I have to forego some events so I can make sure I wake up on time, then I forego some events. That's why the question, has judgment passed? Has judgment passed? See, we're admonished by Jesus Christ that let's not, let's not be like the ones in the days of Noah. Where they heard the gospel. Yes, the gospel was preached in the days of Noah. They heard the gospel. They heard salvation is coming but it's in the form of a boat. They heard it for 120 years, the same message over and over again. The people saw the animals two by two all of a sudden appear from nowhere. Nature, as Romans says, the book of Romans says, nature lets them know that God exists. They saw the animals coming and they were astonished. The predator wasn't eating the prey. And the prey wasn't afraid of the predator. But all walked into the ark. Not in chaos, but in structure. They all walked into the ark and they're all standing there. I can just imagine. They're just standing there in awe saying, what is this? What's going on here? 
And Noah is preaching the gospel and letting them know the end is near. All living, everything that has the breath of life in its nostrils will come to pass. The end is near. They see the animals walking in. Noah standing there at the entrance of that door saying, this is the moment of salvation. The door is still open. Enter in. And the people are just there like, you're crazy, Noah. You're nuts, Noah. What are you talking about, Noah? There's no rain coming. There's no judgment coming. There's none of that coming, Noah. You're just hysterical. You're just a lunatic. You're just ludicrous. You're out of your mind. And yet Noah is there. And then the Lord tells Noah, that's it. That's it. It's time to close the door. And then they see the door closing. There's no mechanical apparatus. There's no one pulling a rope. There's no button that they pressed. The door just closed. And then the rain came. And then it came. And then it came. And then the people started hitting the ark. purpose of Jesus entering entering into Jerusalem was to bring judgment upon the people that they were faithless and unprepared for his coming and they were faithless and unprepared for his entry but today is the day of salvation is the day of hope. Today is a day that God can change your life. Today is a day that God can free you. Today is a day that God can call you.